Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Justin Sarachik, and this is the Survival of the Artist podcast, and this is episode 20, and I am here with somebody who I have incredible conversations with because I never know what's going to happen, whether they are through a text message or actually speaking to him on the phone, and that person is John Rubin. John Rubin, give a hand for John Rubin. Welcome to the podcast, episode 20. Thank you. Milestone. Thank you, Justin. Thank you for having me. This uh, episode 27? No, 20. Episode 20. 20. All right. Okay. I was like, 27. Is that really a milestone? What am I missing here? 20. All right. Fantastic. 20. 20. Episode 20 for 2020. So, I know who you are, but in case there are people who are listening that don't know who you are, who are you? What do you do? And what would you say is your claim to fame? Oh, who am <laughs> I? Who am this I? This is the softball question. I, it is a softball question. It just depends on how like existential we want to get with it. I am who a, am I? I'm a man made of matter and God's <laughs> image from the dirt. <laughs> <laughs> um, well... As you already told the folks, I'm John Rubin. Uh, I am a rapper. Uh, that's the reason I'm on this podcast, I assume. Um, <laughs> is uh, you, uh, What do I do? You're probably having me on here because I have, I have uh, rapped and I have uh, toured around doing that. I was... Uh, <laughs> let's see i was signed to go to records there you go there we go uh let's see let's get to the bullet points i was signed to go to records i toured extensively throughout the 2000s uh, took about a seven-year break returned back in 2017 um i believe you broke the news that i was putting out a new record i believe that was you i did um, and, and I, I also always, I also I, take credit for making you put that record out by inspiring you to rap again. You know, let's let's just let's go with that. That sounds good. Because when I spoke so to you, you I, said I have enough music to make two or three albums, and you're like, "But I'm not there yet." And then what happened? A year later, you dropped an album. So I'm just saying. But go ahead, carry okay, on. Dude, carry fair, on. Fair enough, man. So, yeah, I put out a record, uh, and then I got the itch to do it again. So I put out another album. Uh, it's coming out this year, so or it's coming out now. It might already be out. Uh, I don't know when this is going to be out. So I'm putting it out right now as we talk. <laughs> it's, um, it's in the works. It's in the works. It's, a, it's an ongoing, it's on, it's an ongoing uh, release. So, yeah, um, what else? Where are we at? Well, who am I? What do I do? What's your claim to fame? Um, so what, what would you say, you know, you're most known for by people? You know, I think, I think probably our live, I mean, performing, we always, I think a lot of people, you know, who know me as an artist knew, you know, you know, seem to uh, know me from live performances or some of my more, you know, absurd, you know, music videos, I guess like the ice cream truck or the (laughs) duck, duck goose music video. Um, you know, uh, so yeah, I think, but live, uh, we toured a lot, you know, back in the day, played a lot of really fun shows, got, you know, um, 
had the good fortune of uh, being able to tour with some great artists. So, yeah, I don't, I never had like that big smash hit, but I think in our market, no one really has smash hits. I think you kind of build your following and, uh, you know, you build it because you connect with the people. Folks really dig the music, dig what you have to say, dig your point of view, and you build a culture and a community around what you're doing. And so, right. Um, I can't really say I ever had a big, <laughs> you know, hit that any, anybody would know, but it's like one of those where it's like, oh, yeah, you, that one song, you're that, that dude that did that one tune. I think my dad listened to that back in the day or something <laughs> like that. So, yeah. That's uh, that's who I am. I probably didn't. I didn't probably explain that very well. No, that's that's great. We're we're gonna unpack all the layers that John has yeah. not spoken about in many years. And by the time we get to the end, he is going to be a not only and here's an album plug. Not only will he be a professional rapper again, he will also be a professional at being interviewed again. Very good. So very good. I, I appreciate that. And, and profession professional rapper is John Rubin's third album. You can pick that up in digital stores everywhere. <laughs> There's a plug for you. <laughs> All right, so you got signed to Goatee Records in what 2000, where you dropped. Yeah, are we there been, yet? Uh, yeah, are we there yet? I got signed. Actually, I got signed in '99. I got signed in the summer of '99, I believe. Because I remember doing a showcase, and then it happened pretty quickly. So I did a showcase in Nashville, and. And then I think I got signed a few months later. Okay, again, so, trying to trying to make sure, but you know, obviously, my memory can be a little foggy. It's been going on two decades now. Well, it's been over two twenty years now at this point. Wow. Yeah. So so up until that point, if if you can recall, like how long did it take you to get to that point where you were getting signed? Like how long were you rapping? What were you doing? Like what was that grind? That hustle like? You know, man, I was fortunate. I think you know, certain things fell into place, but I, you know, before that I was doing, you know, I was doing like the local scene quite a bit here in Columbus. I was doing open mic nights. Mm -hmm. We were playing around locally. I, you know, I, the first show I ever did, I think well, I was like, well, you know, I, I take that back when I was like 13 or 14, I played at like summer camps. I remember, um, rapping over, I think Nintendo, beats or something like that <laughs> like uh or something like i actually I, I think it was a sega genesis somebody tracked something from sega genesis is weird i can't remember what it was but i think it was like the first time i ever performed um and then we booked a show and i, I remember i just bought a bunch of gear or i took a loan out on some gear and we booked a show and we had no music and I didn't know how to use any of the gear. <laughs> and so it was literally the thing that jump started, like everything. I was like, I got to figure out how to make beats, you know, cause at the time <clears throat> there was a bunch of guys we rapped with. We kind of had a, a, a crew called the showcase MCs and we were, um, and we were like, we got this show. We got to put together some music. So <laughs> I remember hunkering down, figuring out how to use the MPC 3000. And, and uh, you know, it was back in the day when it was like floppy disk. You, you know, you only had so much time to sample everything. And I can't even, you know, if you put me down in front of right now, I'm not sure I would know how to use it. But <laughs> I remember figuring it out on the fly. And sure enough, we put together like, you know, six or seven songs <laughs> 
I would be, I would love, I would love to go back and hear these beats that we made at the time. They, they had to have been horrible. Do they exist horrible, anyway? But, like if you, if you search, uh, are they in an attic or a garage or something? You know what I have? I do have, I have a, a binder of floppy disks in, in an <laughs> attic somewhere. But yeah, I, you know, the NPC, I mean, I, I still have it. It's, it's a, you know, it's pretty cool. I, 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 again, I wouldn't know what to do at this point, but I, so yeah, that was our first thing. I remember we played, it was at a place called the King, it was like a King of Hearts or something like that. It was like a, like a thing where like Christians got together, like a Christian dance club. Okay. And we played a show and, uh, yeah, we pulled, you know, flyered it, did the, did the thing. And so that was kind of the beginning of that time frame. And then we just started touring around like locally around Ohio doing stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, at the time my mom was, um, running, um, she took over for a death metal label, a Christian death <laughs> metal label, believe it or not. I don't know if I ever told you that. No, that, that I know. I feel like that's, <laughs> that information is out there. Yeah, so my mother, and so she had a distribution deal, and I thought, and um, well, she we were able to piggyback off of that. So then I started working with other bands. We put out a record, and I was going to put my record out under it, but that kind of pivoted before I, I got that out. So I only put an EP out, kind of just like on my own independently, um, with no distro. And then Goatee Records got a hold of that EP. And then at the same time, I had other labels that were interested. But Goatee got a hold of that EP. Uh, they were really um, liked it. And they called me, and I set up a showcase um, through a guy named Dirk Brown, who was also um, Grit's manager at the time, I believe. Okay. And super, super cool guy. And he uh, set up a uh, – helped me set up some showcase stuff. And so – that was how that all went down. I went down to Nashville, and um, I played uh, played some showcases, and uh, yeah, one thing led to another. I got a deal. Nice. And you, those showcases were in front of like Toby, Joe Elwood, you know, Todd Collins, or was just like in, in front of like other people. Well, so interestingly enough, one of them was a showcase in front of. I can remember correctly. It was like an outdoor venue. So it wasn't, I say a showcase. It was more, these were like shows, Okay. but it was just a chance for them to come out. They, he put me on stage. Yeah. And so one of the stage, one of the stages, um, it went, it went okay. It wasn't great. But then I had another showcase, uh, the next night and it was at a, at a club and it was basically, I was there with the guy who's DJing with me and, um, we got there and they said, you can't, you can't have your DJ. There's no gear. There's no instruments. It, it's a spoken word night. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I'm supposed to be, <clears throat> it's actually a funny story. Cause I was like, I'm supposed to be like here performing, trying to, you know, show these guys like, Hey, I've got the goods. They want to, you know, you know, I was hoping I was going to rock a crowd. They're going to be interested in signing me. And so I, I, um, I went up there still and I remember um, thinking, all right, well then I'll just do, I'll just do some poetry. I'll just turn my lyrics into poetry. Cause that's some more, you know, I think, uh, you know, 
serious material that worked well, well in that sort of space. And so I did that and it went over extremely well. And so the, um, the A&R guy said that the fact that you were able to adjust in that environment yeah, and, and, and work on the fly. And so, and I honestly, if this is about artist tip, I mean, you can hang your hat on that, be malleable, be able to adjust. So that, that, that worked to my advantage at that time. Um, and that was, yeah, that, I think that was what probably got me, got me the deal. Okay. Yeah. That's dope. That's a dope story because like you said, I think it showed more grit. It was almost like they wanted to see if you could pass the test. Like, what do we do if we literally take away everything he knows? What would he do? And you yeah. did it. So definitely probably worked in your favor. So now. Yeah, no, I, I actually think I actually think the, the fact that it, because of the fact that I, I think it, it definitely worked in my favor. Because I think had I gone up there, did the whole DJ thing, I mean, I think it would have been cool and maybe it would have worked. But I think you know, that, that showed them something. And yeah. so, cause, and it actually paid dividends moving on. I mean, that sort of mentality paid dividends throughout my career. Cause you never knew what you were going to end up with. You're either right. be playing, playing a show. You know, sometimes we'd be playing in front of thousands of people at a conference or next night we'd be playing in front of 50 people with a really, really horrible PA, no monitors. Then you got to know how to navigate it all. So, yeah. We actually started building our shows around that. Like we had a show for if the sound system was good and we had the show if the sound system was bad. Because we're like, this song will not sound good <laughs> on a bad sound system. And so, you know, we kind of we we kept our sets very flexible depending on what we were coming into. Because, you know, we just, you know, I, I was, I'd done well enough that I could play. You know, I was able to get some good gigs, but I... I never felt like uh, I wasn't able to fully call my own shots, right. um, like you know some of the bigger artists. So right, right, kind of had to take what you were given. So I know, in having lots of conversations with with KJ Five Two, that like being a CHH artist in the early two thousands, mid two thousands, that guy really, that really, guy, that yeah, guy, your your nemesis, <laughs> your number one nemesis. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, the challenges of being uh, a Christian rapper in the 2000s in the mids was like you only were able to tour or like open up with rock bands that were mm. like on tooth and nail and like bands that you really probably had no business being on stage with. But yet that was kind of like the Christian market. Like, oh, yeah, we'll grab KJ or we'll grab John Rubin and we'll throw them with with Project 86 or with Pillar or, you know, with whoever it was, you know, at the time that was really like popping. Um, so can you maybe talk a little bit about that? Um, well, my, you know, my, my perspective might be a little different than KJ's, but I, I, I was really surprised after leaving. I think we talked about this a little bit last time too. I was really surprised after I kind of left the market, um, or wasn't real active in it. Um, someone once joked, like you, you left right when hip hop got big. Right, right, right. And so it's interesting because, you know, you know, now it seems like it's bigger. Probably, I'm guessing it's bigger than a lot of the rock music out there. It's it's there just as a, big as maybe or close to like CCM. It's like approaching. It's, yeah, it. it's really. So it was very different, and and you know. 
back in our day. And so there was, you know, there were bigger acts, you know, you know, I think on our label, you had grits who was doing really well. Yeah. Yeah. You had, you know, I think when I first came into the market, you had guys like T-Bone who were, who were fairly big. Um, but for me, I think I, you know, I, I like playing with the rock bands. I like playing with the punk bands. You know, at the time there was a lot of ska bands. I mean, touring with five iron frenzy was awesome. <laughs> and so I always enjoyed it. And I think I was already kind of, I think people viewed me as somewhat of an alternative guy anyways, alternative hip hop or however you want to put it. So mm-hmm. it always, it was always a good fit. I, I, I enjoyed jumping, you know, hopping on the road with those guys and opening up, um, um, and being, you know, honestly, being the opening act's a lot easier than being the headliner, in my opinion. You know, to get a good slot, but the, you know, <laughs> you're not, you don't have to. You can always point the finger if nobody shows up. You know, like was we were we headliner. <laughs> it was my fault, man. Dang, like, but it's, uh, yeah. So I, I, but it was fundamentally a very different. It was a very different market, and hip hop was sort of this. Uh, you know, you were kind of you know, people were fascinated by it, but there, there wasn't, you know, it wasn't the culture and the community that currently exists, which again, I, I feel like I'm still kind of on the outside looking in, figuring it all out, you know, but it's a, it's just a different, it was a different, different ball game then. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like too, that, um, and you can, I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, but more along the, the rock lines of hip hop back then, it was like all the the Christian rappers had to do a song with some sort of rock band or someone in a rock band. Like you had the song Nuisance with Matt Thiessen, mm-hmm. which is a great song. I think you had a, a song mm-hmm. with um, House of Heroes, right? The singer from there. Um, yeah. KJ was doing songs with with uh, Trevor from Thousand Foot Crutch, and he had a song with Toby from Emery, and he had another song with someone else, and... and T-Bone did a song, I think, with Audio Adrenaline. So it was just like, everybody was like, well, if you want to be a rapper, you know, you, you really got to get your feet wet by having a Christian rock singer on here. Um, so, and then now that's not like a thing. Like, like the rock well, people are probably the ones now begging, please, I just wish a, a Christian rapper would pick me up for a song, please. It's so funny, man. I So, you know, and again, this is probably where it's a little bit of a different perspective i'm the one that asked all those guys to be on my songs because i like their music yeah and and so for me it wasn't like it was it's something i wanted to do it was it was artistically true to who i was now you know i i kind of swing you know i i can have mood swings on what i like and don't like and sometimes i listen back to my old stuff and i'm like oh man i cannot believe i did that that sounds so horrible to me right now mm-hmm. but the point is is I had a lot of freedom in my music. I was with a great label. That's, Go to was cool. awesome. Toby was awesome. Joe was awesome. Nobody ever made me do anything I didn't want to do. It was there's a lot of freedom, and so a lot of those were me wanting to experiment and take those risks because I liked the music. And I, I really, I mean, at the time, I mean, I grew up only really listening to hip hop music. Um, I remember you least, said you're a big Radiohead fan as well. Well, but yeah, so, but towards, you know, the late 90s, I really started getting into indie music and what would have been considered emo in the 90s, which was very different than what emo in the 2000s was. And from 
in my opinion, but yeah. it, uh, the, the, um, a lot of the experimenting that I did, some worked, some didn't work, but I, that was a lot of it was, you know, there was, there was no like label being like, you should do this. And if we do this, we'll have a hit. So like the thing with Matt Thiessen, I, when, when I, I wrote that hook and we were working on it and I, I remember doing it and I did it like it almost like it, I was being silly, but I really liked it. It was like, I wasn't confident enough to do it, but it's like, I really liked it. Maybe someone else can do it. <laughs> it's very well, but I was like, I really liked this. And at first I kind of just did it like, haha, look, I'm doing this sort of jingly thing. And you know, I kind of had this like pop punk hook. I was like, but I really like this. I really want to do this. And so then, then Matt was nice enough to do it. And you know, but those guys were me asking them to do it. So yeah, it was, uh, so I, I guess I looked at it different because I, I sort of just looked at it as part of my style, part of what I was doing. It kind of fit, you know, from my first record, I, you know, I had a wide range of stuff going on musically because I was just exploring, seeing, you know, I had a lot of freedom to be, try different things. And um, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. So it you wasn't. definitely had some nothing. heavy songs too. And those are some of my favorite where you're just kind of yelling. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I was trying to go for it, man. Back, <laughs> I'm like, I was listening to some of that stuff the other day, and I was like, man, did I really do that? Did I? But it, you know, at the time, it was like, uh, I was pretty jazzed. I was like, man, I'm gonna try to scream, see if I can do this. <laughs> no matter where I go, I can't escape what's inside. So, oh yeah, there you go. I'm, I got more. I got more bars for you. Um, Good. But yeah, but. I I really appreciate that stuff because I was like really really into rock, um, during that period and like some of the heavy stuff and I kind of just skated around, uh, hip hop. So, like you were one of the people I listened to. So when I heard that, I was like, yes, he gets me. Like he can rap, <laughs> but but he does this rock stuff every once in a while and I like it and it's good. So. I definitely, yeah, definitely appreciated that experimental side about you. And even, and even if, you know, and I sort of didn't mean it when I asked that question, like that the rappers needed the rock bands, but it was just something that, that happened during that time yeah. that doesn't happen at all now, whether they yeah, need yeah, each other no, or not. I, no, I, I know. I, I, I take that as I, I would, I think, I think you're making, you're making some pretty accurate observations on how things have shifted. Yeah. And again, I, I, my, my last record on goatee was about 2010. And so that's when I kind of disappeared for a while. And apparently that's when everything got really good. Yeah. What, what a segue. Cause that was my next question. So you, you released sex, drugs and self control. And then you were just like, peace, I'm out. So what, like what happened? Why did that kind of become, at, at some point, you know, the last record we were ever going to get from John Rubin, or in your mind, you're like, oh, I'll be back in like a year, and it just it never happened. Like, what what happened? Um, I think I had thought that I was I would probably get back around to it, but I had some other opportunities. I was, you know, looking forward to exploring, um, and you know, I ended up moving to L.A. and was working for a company out in L.A. Uh, I did about three years in L.A., and then when I moved back to Nashville, um, I actually had never lived in Nashville, so I don't know why I said move back to Nashville. <laughs> got, 
you know, at first I was like, well, I'll move to Nashville. I'll, I'll, I'll work on music and write poetry and sit on my front porch. And I ended up getting involved in another opportunity. And so it was just sort of life happened. You know, I had my, I had my first and only child in 2010 and I, you know, it just sort of like, you know, the years went real fast. And so then I finally, you know, popped my head up and was like in 2015, 16, I was like, if I don't do this now, I'm not going to do it. That's what I think when, I think that's actually what you told me, right? Probably. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. We'll just give you credit for it. So yeah, no, that, so it was really more of a, other opportunities, other things I wanted to pursue. Um, and then, uh, you know, but now it was, uh, the time was right then. And, you know, I'm still, it's still something I do that I, I do it for fun, but I, mm-hmm. you know, more and more I'm doing it. It's, it's leading to some cool opportunities. I think I might be able to do some shows, hit the road again a little nice, bit. Nice. So that's sort of, uh, you know, yeah. I, I, that's a kind of a quick answer for you. But. No, that's that's good. I like it. It's efficient. So yeah, here, here's a nice. Uh, I feel like this next question is usually good for the ending, but I I'm gonna throw it right in the middle. <laughs> so yeah, do, yeah. Do you feel like like you as an artist from what you accomplished from 2000 to 2010 before Christian hip hop really became the machine that it is today? Do you feel like you were kind of a pioneer in that? And would you say that you feel like you have some sort of legacy to your name or your music? Uh, man, I don't know. I don't know. That's a, you know, that's a, that's an interesting question. Um, <clears throat> I, so I, I'll say, I think a pioneer, you know, I, I, you know, I don't know. I, here's the thing is there was a whole bunch of people in the nineties that were doing it. That oh were yeah. Re- really, really good that I looked up to and they were, so, you know, I think maybe we touched on this last time, you know, you hear these conversations about how Christian hip hop finally got good or something like that. I'm like, I don't know what everyone's talking about. Like I, I hated Christian music as a team. I hated Christian music in the nineties, but there was a lot of Christian hip hop that stood on its own that I loved. Because it was artistic, it was creative. Some of the best lyricists, some of the best—I mean, yeah. really thought-provoking, creative hip hop, especially coming out of um, like the Los Angeles area with a lot of the brainstorm artists. So, for me, um, I looked up to those guys, and so to me, those are the pioneers. Soup the Chemist, you know, LPG when they put out Earthworm. Um, you know, you had. Like the LA Symphony guys, Brainwash Projects. Tunnel Rats. You had Tunnel Rats, Future Shock. You know, these guys were, to me, you know, and even even the guys like Dynamic Twins. And do um, you remember all this stuff? I know I know about all these people because I'm a history a history buff. Um, I, I mean, freedom, freedom of Soul, Peace 586, Freedom of Soul. I mean, the Second Coming, the beats on Second Coming were just awesome. And I was a big... You know, I, I loved uh, producers who knew how to, like, uh, chop up jazz loops and do really cool stuff. And, I, I mean, there was just a lot of good hip-hop, mm-hmm. you know, like, like 
some of those records hold up for me with like everything else I was listening to. And so the scene, the culture, like I wanted to be a part of that. I liked that. And so to me, those are the pioneers. Um, I think, I think everybody, you know, who was able to car was able to carve something out and can, you know, I guess claim their, you know, claim whatever they, you know, their little piece of whatever right. they think they brought to, to the, to the, I'm trying to think of a fun way to say this, but I, I've got nothing. <laughs> um, help me out here. I'm supposed to be good with words, but I'm, it's, uh, it's, um, it's, uh, it's failing me right now, but <clears throat> yeah. Um, so no, I, dude, I, I, I'm, I'm proud of what I did, you know? And I, I think, I think, you know, and I, I touch on this sort of stuff quite a bit in my music. I realize I wrote, I write a lot about it, but I think there's always that sort of, you know, for me, and probably I think a lot of other artists, there was always that sort of, um, you know, you kind of feel like you can be a bit of a second class citizen in the music industry right. when you're, you know, in the Christian music world. And it's unfortunate um, because I think there's just already a stigma attached to it that, you know, really doesn't necessarily. Um, it's not fair to the artists. It's not fair to the fans. And so I think for me, um, as I went along with it, um, and looked at what I was able to do and actually think about the freedom I did have and the creativity that, uh, the creative people I got to work with, I, you know, I'm, I'm super proud of what, what we did. And so we'll see, man. But I, I always look at it like, I don't know, you could be the biggest artist in the world mm -hmm. who's going to remember you down the road. I mean, it's so fleeting. <laughs> right. You know, I'm not trying to be negative here, you know, but it's, it, it's, you really, you really got to tap into it for the right reasons and enjoy being present and being present with it and really appreciate the people that are in front of you in the moment you have because it just, it goes quick. And then, you know, no matter what you think, how, how much success is perceived or, you know, how much success, uh, you, you're able to get it, you know, it, uh, at the end of the day, who's going to, who's going to remember that 50 years from now. Right. And so you can cut that out if that's too negative. But. No, no, man, this, this is your story. I'm just, I'm just getting the answers from you. Um. So no, that, that, and it does matter. I mean, I, I love what, you know, so the, the legacy piece is always interesting because, you know, um, who knows? I guess yeah, who knows what what that is and it isn't. I I think I think I'll, I guess you have to uh, have to let other people decide what role you played in it. Well, I'll I'll tell you from my perspective, like someone like yourself is kind of like a gateway to a lot of the hip hop that happened now. Like all these artists who are popular now like the ones in their in their 20s and mid 20s who did they listen to when they were growing up in church they listened to john rubin they listened to kj they listened to maybe ill harmonics or you know t-bone or whoever and they're just kind of building upon the groundwork that that you guys started on just like you built off the groundwork of you know tunnel rats and la symphony and and all of that so I think each each decade kind of has its pioneers, like who who got us through the the two thousand to the two thousand and ten, and then you know now it's twenty twenty. It's like who got us through the the twenty teens, like 
you know, that was Lecrae, that was, you know, KB, Andy, Minio, like those guys. So now it's kind of like, who's going to be the next, you know, the next legacy or the next pioneer of the 2020s? Who's that going to be? And we'll look back at that in 2030 and we'll figure that out. So that's kind of how I look at it. Yeah, no, I, and I think there's something interesting when you really are able to look at it from the collective as a, I guess, to call it a movement of sorts. It's mm-hmm. really interesting to see how you kind of just plug in and you just, you know, and it, and it actually any, any music out there is just kind of building off the people that came before it. And so, right. yeah, man, it's, I, I feel, I mean, when I think about all the places I got to see and, you know, and, you know, honestly, and still get to play and still get to be a part of it now, it's, it's cool, man. It's definitely cool. And I, I'm very grateful, very grateful for it all. Yeah. Nice, nice, nice. All right. So let's, let's change gears a little bit. So you're making music again. So what are some of the biggest challenges you face now as an artist, as opposed to 10 years ago when you dropped your last album or your, you know, your last, I guess, goatee records album. Um, besides the label, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) <laughs> well, I guess that would be the that would be the big thing. Probably the, probably the biggest. I mean, you, 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 I mean, I was always very hands on, um, but now you know, I it, it's definitely mostly. I mean, it's all me. You know, you got to do it all yourself. But that's a lot of artists. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of people who, who you know, if you're an artist nowadays, you know, a lot of these guys and girls have to. You, you gotta you gotta do it yourself you gotta build it yourself and then hopefully you can find partnerships to come along and really help you know take you to the next level or at least support so you can you can free you up to focus more on the you know the things you want to do and or you know instead of like the day-to-day stuff but um i mean the biggest challenges right now are i mean it's actually i'm having a ton of fun dude it's kind of it's kind of fun i mean because there's really no um, it's not like I'm the label's going to drop me if I don't sell X amount of units, and yeah, <laughs> it's, it's not even. Space. I mean, it's a new space I mean, for you, right? So when I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of in the headspace now of you know really putting this music out and just trying to kind of bring people who once were maybe listened to what I was doing, bring them back into the mix a little bit and see who is interested, and also have a you know pretty pretty solid uh base of people that are engaged with what i'm doing and appreciate it so really you know i think the challenges are how proactive do i want to be how much energy do i have to go out there and you know how bad do i want it now i guess you know is it something i'm doing for fun is it something that i'm really trying to be proactive and build again and you know you ask all these questions when you know the older you get like you know what would that even look like? People will say, you miss touring. And I'm like, uh, I miss being 22 and touring. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. You know what I mean? Like, like when you're, when you're super young, I mean, some of those, that would be incredible memories of, you know, but it, it, you know, it looks different the older you get, you know, you got life happens, you got family, but, um, I love the music I'm making. Like, love it. And I love, uh, you know, I'm very confident in it to the point where even if people don't like it, I'm still trying to tell them why they should like it. So I love 
you know, I, I love this project and trying to get it out there. And so we'll see where it goes. Uh, um, so it's not, I, it's hard. Cause I guess I, it's, it's a challenge, but it's, um, it's almost a fun problem to try to solve. And then regardless of what happens with it all, um, I feel like I can pick up some new insights and skill sets along the way. And so that's kind of how I look at it. Like, you know, there's some different things, even just like basic stuff that I'm like sitting down and figuring out how to do that. I just never took the time to do. Um, you know, I might try to put together a really interesting like show that I can do, you know, if I were to go play a house show, what would that look like? You know, how would I strip this down? Mm -hmm. Um, and make it entertaining. So it's not just me playing off the tracks, but how would I really keep people entertained for, you know, an hour and for 50 people, you know, it looks like fun stuff like that. And, you know, doing, doing some cool community stuff. Um, hopefully we're going to be able to, um, do some cool stuff and, and, you know, in here in Columbus with uh, another guy I've been worked with on this project. So it's all very fun right now. It's nice. all really, really cool. Nice. Um, so do you, could you have gone back to Goatee or to a label with this new music or, or were you like, I'm just going to do this completely independent? Like what, I guess what um, was the, yeah. Like, could you have gone back to a label or was it kind of just not an option you think? I'm guessing it's not an option. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't sign me. <laughs> <laughs> just, <laughs> oh, I mean, I I don't know if I'd sign anybody in this day and age. It's hard. It's hard. Right. Music's a tough. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to really do it for the love. Um, and so you know, for me, I mean, I, I I say that. I mean, I'm being serious. I'm also being over the top a little bit, but it's um, you know. I think I think the, the the fun in this project at this point. I mean, it would be nice if there was like a you know a support in place, but um, I'm not. I wouldn't expect it, and I and I understand. You know, it's uh, I understand my place mm-hmm. in the market. I guess, for lack of better words. Okay. So now, looking back at your whole career, what would you say is your biggest? rock star moment or moment of like success where you were like yes i did it i think the most one of the most satisfying was when we sold i remember and this was a big deal for us i think one of the most satisfying moments was like it was on professional rapper we booked a a tour was a 12 days of christmas tour which is really a weird tour when i think about it because we had we had some bizarre (laughs) <laughs> antics we put into our show at that point i believe um there was a girl who uh worked with me and she we um we called her sister meredith and she stood on stage playing um a tambourine and and uh i mean we, we set it up very bizarrely almost like uh <laughs> old like we had this sort of like sing-along that was like <laughs> old backwoods pentecostal christmas caroling uh, I don't think it went over as well as we had hoped. Wonder why. Uh, but <laughs> we played uh, one of the shows. We had um, we sold hard tickets, and I remember that was a big deal to, to yeah. you know. It was easy to always go and play, 
you know, hey, you got booked for a conference, and that was great. There'd be like five, ten thousand people sometimes at a conference, but you were just a part of the event. But to actually have people pay money, hard money, to come see you play, and we sold like fourteen hundred tickets, and I remember thinking, like, wow, that that was like a, that that felt fantastic. Just seeing a packed house selling yeah. fourteen hundred tickets for one of our shows. Maybe I exaggerated that number by a couple hundred tickets. I don't know, but it was a lot of people. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Now. So, so that that was that was probably one of the highlights. What about what about on the flip side? What would you say is your biggest failure or regret of your music career? Um, so the very next day after we sold fourteen hundred <laughs> tickets, this was part B of the story. We went to uh, I believe it was Indianapolis, and we sold like thirty five tickets. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> and the show it was it was really a sad show. So you want to talk about highs and lows, man? That was like I was riding high. Fourteen hundred tickets sold. The next day it was like thirty-five tickets. Well, at least at least it was like an immediate. <laughs> like the next day, like you you weren't just riding this high of like sellout shows for like years, and then all of a sudden it was like, yo, there's thirty-five people here. <laughs> no, just let me know that that was a fluke, like. There's not that many people that really want to see you, John Rubin. Oh man, I, I would have bought a ticket. I'd buy a ticket. <laughs> I'd buy a ticket right now. But hey, dude, you know what? I tell you what. <clears throat> Last year, um, this was this this was really cool. But last year we played a show. It was the end of 2018. Um, House of Heroes asked me to open up for him. Mm-hmm. And they played a show in Columbus. And originally I was thinking like, oh, this would be cool. You know, we'll play a couple hundred people at this small club in Columbus. It'll be fun. It'll be friends, you know. And at the time I was thinking, you know, I'll just do something real low key. That show sold out like in hours, I think. Wow. And then they added, they upped it to a bigger room. That sold out. And the show ended up being like twelve to 1,300 people. And that was really, really great show. Um, and it was awesome because my daughter had never seen me perform. Yeah, yeah. And so she got the chance to be there. She had the time of her life. And so I, 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 part of me was like, this is where it should end. You know what I mean? It was like <laughs> this glorious moment. You know, I, was, I love the House Heroes guys. Their show is incredible, you know. Um, and the energy of the place was just amazing. Uh, and so that, that was also really rad. Um, that was a fun, that was a fun, very rewarding thing to be able to come back to, um, you know, have a nice little live experience like that. That was really great. No, that is, and they were, that was like a reunion show for them, right? Yeah. That's it why. It was a 10 year, yeah. there was their 10 year anniversary on that album. Nice. Okay. So I got two more questions for you and then you can move on yeah. with your life. Um, no, bring it. So you keep talking about this new project, but you have yet to say what the project is. So, what is this? Pro- what is, what is this project? You know, what's the message, the creation of it? You know, I I I know that it's in three parts, but I don't know because when I wrote an article about it, I thought it was all one. <laughs> so I messed that up. And then when I went, no, you know, when what, I went man, to listen I- to it, I only saw three songs, and I was like, wait a second. <laughs> it's it's really well so i you know it's it's an album that's the best way to put it i mean that's it's an album but i i'm just kind of releasing it in pieces um and a lot of it 
so when I really it was like a lot of the current climate and cultural conversations going on I kind of said I mean I can't count the I say I can't count like that sounds that's exaggerating exaggerating but there were plenty of Facebook posts that I never posted (laughs) things that I never said and you know and trying to figure out how to engage the culture and wanting to be a part of the discussion on certain things and wanting an outlet to express myself and thinking like oh you know I had toyed with the idea of writing a book but I was like you know, nah, I'm not going to do that right now. And then I so, you know, I had, you know, maybe I have all these sort of ideas on how to communicate. Do I start a podcast? What do I do with all this sort of stuff? But it really came down to, um, you know, a lot of conversations I was having with a buddy of mine that I've been performing with for quite some time back in the day, who I've known for quite some time. We performed together a lot back in the day. He was actually on the very first track on the very first album, put out goatee divine inspiration. Um, and we, me and him, his name's Alon, we were having a lot of conversations and, uh, um, you know, it's one of those, I'm sure a lot of people have these sort of dialogues. We should be podcasting this right now, man, because everybody <laughs> wants to hear what we have to say. Yep. Um, but I, I said that as I realized we're, we're on the podcast right now, hoping people want to hear what we have to say. I, I have these thoughts all the time. <clears throat> podcast inception right now. But I, 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 um, so eventually I just kind of hunkered down and I was like, you know what, like the best way I've always communicated was by writing. Like I communicate better by writing, you know, doing music, making music. I was like, just, just make an album, take, take a lot of the things that you're trying to, trying to process and understand and put it into an album and you know, there's probably a lot of other people out there who can relate to that, or at least there's there's some people who can really relate to that. And so for me, it was um, that was kind of how it came about, you know. And and I was also, you know, uh, wanted to do well, you know another record with the guy I've been working with. You know, we had he had some tracks and ideas, and so I just got together with my buddy Alon, who I've been wanting to do some stuff with for a while, and. Um, we started working on some song ideas. I had other song ideas and, you know, over the course of about two to three months, months, it just came together. And so really it was kind of figuring out how do I just want to release it? Do I want to release them? Cause the songs kind of swing in moods, mm-hmm. which is something, you know, um, you know, that's not new for my music. I've always kind of, you know, gone from being, uh, kind of giddy to sometimes, uh, <laughs> a little more, I guess, pensive I, I guess but I I uh, yeah so we just made it then it, figuring out how to sequencing it and working through how I wanted to release it all so I'm releasing it in three parts but it'll live on as one album when it's all done said and done so we just released the first part uh, part one the greatest Christian rapper ever go ahead check it out you're gonna love it and everybody listening right now is that is that what the name of the full project is too? I think I'm just going to let it let it be a self titled project. So it'll just be John Rubin, and then it'll be like three sections. Yeah, whatever you want to call it, man. Okay, because that that, that so was going to be, be my next thing. I was like, so again, <laughs> you've spoken about this entire project, but you have yet to tell anybody what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you know, maybe that's, uh, 
maybe I need to be a little more clear in my messaging and my marketing, or maybe it actually works to my advantage because at least people hopefully won't get annoyed and they'll just keep paying attention. What is he, what is he doing next? I have no idea. He's, and behind no, the scenes, really, like, I have no idea either. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows what he's doing. And he seems to think everybody cares, but we only have so much more bandwidth we can give him before we decide to just move on to the millions of other artists we could be listening to. <laughs> no, so no, I'm, I'm putting it out every two weeks. So okay, the um, this this you know the first three tracks are released. I'm putting out another four, and then another four, and then I'll probably um, and then yeah, just uh, maybe people can help me figure out how I want to sequence it, and then. We'll put it. We'll put it up, and it'll live on as an album. Deal. But it's tough. I mean, dude, you know how this goes. I mean, you put out a project, it can be, you know, that's why everyone's kind of taking the singles route because mm-hmm. stuff just goes so quick. Yeah, and you know, you you put a, put a lot of time and energy. I mean, I'm real proud of this music. I think it's great, and I love it. Um, I, I think it's, you know, some of the best work me and Seth have done, and you know, the fact that I was able to get. Uh, you know, a close friend who was been a fantastic collaborator through this project. So it's not just me. I mean, it was a really fun project. So I, you know, you hoping to get a little bit of mileage out of it. And so I'm, I went the EP route, but it's, it's really just an album. How do we define albums today anyways? You know what I mean? Yeah. What are they? Apparently they're only eight songs long <laughs> to be considered an Dude, album. There's been a lot of that lately. That mm-hmm. is weird. Everything is like six to eight songs long. Uh, unless you're That's Eminem, That's a- who just dropped a surprise 20-track album that, you know, it's like, yeah, but yeah, I do what I want. <laughs> Man, tw- is it really 20 tracks? Yeah, 20 tracks. Nobody. Like 20 nobody's full blown. 20 full. I think there might be like one interlude, like one skit. But the Holy tracks are like smokes, four man. minutes each, most of them. Four minutes plus. So, you know, it. I think it, it, that, it clocks in at like an hour and 10 minutes. Which That is some serious talent, dude. Now, nowadays, an artist's entire catalog is like an hour and 10 minutes. And that, that includes like five projects. <laughs> so, yeah, people definitely don't have the, the mind for long periods of music anymore. Well, I think a lot of artists' uh, whole entire catalogs are probably uh, the length of... Uh, rap god yeah yeah nice i mean nice the amount of seven and a the half amount of track. the amount of lyrics he packed into that man that tune or just anyways, anyways. he's just very he's very very talented prolific MC. he's good at words he's he's basically he tells us on every album how good he is at words and we're like okay we know just please resemble something like you did 20 years ago and it would be amazing anyway <laughs> thoughts on eminem aside Here's your final question. So what would you say, and now you're pretty fresh to it yourself, so maybe you're still figuring it out. What would you say is the key to the survival of an artist now in 2020? I feel like artists nowadays have to diversify in the sense of, you know, I this is not a... I, I, I feel like I'm about to sound super redundant. Like, I'm sure everybody's talking like this, but... You know, you kind of got to do a lot of things. You mm-hmm. got to be good at a lot of different things, which in one sense is sort of sad because I feel like what gets lost is the concept of artist development 
and you know, artists can tend to start thinking like marketers more than artists at times. Yeah. But yeah. I think if you can strike that fine balance of being good with your business, good at knowing who your audience is, good at knowing how to gauge them, keeping what you do authentic, but also being very, um, you know, being very intentional and, and uh, strategic in how you go about things. Um, you know, I, I think that's a, and it's, it's a tough, it's a tough thing. You know what I mean? Like, so for me, it's like, even, even, you know, I'm in a different, it's, it's different for me, you know, Mm -hmm. or maybe it's not different at all. Maybe I, you know, I don't know. I keep saying that maybe I just need to throw my hat in the rink and say, I'm, I'm going all in, you know, but the, you know, the, the challenges is when your head is constantly thinking about how you're going to promote yourself. You know, I had to actually like, think for a while like what are my songs actually about before we even talked i was like in case we have to talk about any of this which i'm glad we didn't go into too much detail because my whole head has been in like learning some different things and figuring out how to connect with audiences and you know you think about all the all the things that go into like just marketing yourself and trying to get yourself out there um but you know hip-hop's always kind of straddled that fine line anyways they were always it's always been, I think, a brand-driven. Um, there's, you know, a lot of people. Be- before you heard everybody talking about, you know, it's it's about building your brand. Hip hop was already doing that, you know. Right. So they were already already ahead of the curve on that. So I think curve ahead of the curve, not the curb. <laughs> I, I wait. Understood. Is it curb or curve? It's curve. It's curve. <laughs> it's curve. Um, side note if you ever want to go back to a what did he say uh, well no I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that mistake when we're not recording I made a mistake on lyrics that I, I always catch that nobody else catches uh, hopefully but, um, <laughs> we uh, so I think for artists nowadays it's it's really it's being able to switch gears right left right, right brain left brain and being able to know how to navigate what you're doing and still you know you, you being being able to uh being able to wear multiple hats and wear them well, <laughs> I think is the key. I feel that. Um, you know, but it, there's a lot that, you know, it's just different. I mean, back in the day, you put your music out, you book your shows, you sell your merchandise, um, and you kind of cross your fingers and hope that you sell enough CDs that you make some money off of it. Maybe you get a placement or two. Now there's all sorts of different revenue streams that you can tap into, but you've got to understand where they're all coming from. And you got to make sure you're properly set up for them all. And it just takes a lot of work to build it up. And you got to just stay proactive with it and really believe in what you're doing. Um, and hope other people believe in it too. And there you go. John Rubin has run the gauntlet of the Survival of the Artist podcast. <laughs> John, I think you did a fantastic job. I think well, you did I had good. a lot of fun, man. I'm glad well, you had thank a lot you. of fun. We we always have good conversations, so I knew it was going to be fun. And I would love yeah, I, to have a conversation with you in person one day, so maybe that will happen. All right, man. I got to get up there and play uh, that Mexican restaurant. <laughs> please please do. I mean, they would add to it to some more like oddball things that, uh, that we, <laughs> we, could, we could check off the list. Do you know, you know, you've kind of been, okay, so you say you were the catalyst for me to play, uh, you know, for me to make uh, to make a new project. You're kind of the catalyst for me to try to book an East Coast tour. 
which I was like, all right, I can't, I can't count this Mexican restaurant as an anchor date. So I got to find, <laughs> <laughs> but it all, you know, I, the, the, I have in my head someday I'm going to play this, uh, 60 seat Mexican restaurant in Staten Island and it's going to be a great time. And if the worst case scenario, if no one shows up, I'm still eating tacos. So that's kind of, that's where my head's at. Yeah. If no one shows up, we'll, I'll set up a camera. We'll do a live interview. You maybe I'll, yeah. you, you know, you could, you can think, you could think on the fly like you did over 20 years ago and maybe do a spoken word poetry set and, um, <laughs> you can invite some people and they'll all be snapping and, you know, we'll turn it into something really cool. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, man, we'll figure out how to make it work. We'll stay, uh, we'll stay fluid with it, and we'll see where it goes. Yeah, I feel like I feel like I'm your, I'm I'm your like East Coast hype man. I'm I'm actually probably more like when you have the angel and the devil on each shoulder, and like the angel in on John's <laughs> head is going like, you know, be conservative. Like, you know, I'm enjoying life. Let's not get too far into this art thing. And then I'm the devil on the other side saying, drop music you're creative you need to do it go play a taco restaurant and then you're you're falling for the for the trap that i'm that i'm setting <laughs> no nah, man i am i'm definitely falling for it i you know what dude i've got the i do want to play some shows i i, I mean i've got there's the nothing like playing trip. shows man it really is dude it's it's so fun and like so i i've I'm, I've, I've turned the corner on like you know on the, on on that like wanting to get out there and do stuff now. So do you talk about that. Go back to challenges. Challenges of where do I play? You right. Know, how do you how do the, the putting the music out is easy enough to figure out. That's just kind of like whatever. That's tune core. You know <laughs> they're great. They're fine. Anybody can do it. You know it, it is what it is. The real challenge is how do you how do you where you where do you gonna where are you going to to play your shows? Um, and who wants to book you? Right. And then the year 2020. Yes. And so. there's, and there, there's, you know, and there's not, it's not really lucrative for anybody. So like, don't feel like, no. yeah, you don't even feel like it'd be like, well, you know, I'm, I'm John Rubin. I'm just coming back into music. It's like, it doesn't matter who you are. <laughs> it's not very lucrative for anybody unless you could like land one of those conferences or whatever, like, like you were talking about. So yeah, it's yeah, no, dude. very grassroots. It's very difficult, and you know, one of the things that I've always been—I've been more. Um, I guess this is all probably good when you're asking about like challenges or tips or whatever. But I, I actually think the house scene movement is really interesting because I think what you get, you know, and I don't know how that necessarily works with hip hop, but you know. For an artist, if you can go play for 50 people in a living room and you you do the numbers, uh, there's no overhead. You know, people pass around a hat because let's say it's $10, $15 ticket or whatever. People are more inclined to, because you have a real intimate personal connection with right, them, they're more right, inclined right. to buy your merchandise. And then you leave making actually decent money. You may leave making like what could be seen as middle class money for the day. <laughs> which is vastly different than if you go play a bar um, and the same amount of people show up. It's just not the same sort of experience. So I'm and much you gotta, more interested you give them these a cut days. And, and all that too. Yeah. And then, you know, and when you play a house show, those, you know, 
it can be a much more, um, you can trim your show down in a way that's going to be super entertaining and interesting. So I, I, I'm thinking in those sort of terms, like how do you do really cool stuff where you can still be lucrative? You know, it's not like you're trying to, you know, blow up, but you're trying to do something real meaningful and real engaging and make it matter and make it count instead of just being like, all right, what club wants to book me? Like I'm much more interested in unique spaces, um, that are out there to play and be a part of, you know, and of course you obviously conferences, festivals, if you're able to get those sort of things, that's great yeah. too. But it's, you know, so when you brought up the whole, <laughs> the whole Mexican restaurant thing and like, that wasn't like a, that's interesting to me because I'm like, you know, how many people are going to come out and really see, you know, it's, it's hard enough to get people to come to a show in New York city. So yep. like 60 to 70 people, if you only get 60 people out, you're playing to a full house. They're having a great experience. You don't need to lug a ton of production. You can do something intimate. You can hang out with people and eat tacos. And then if you have some product and they make a real connection with you, then hopefully you can sell some of that product. But it might actually be a better bet than going and playing like a two to 300 seat club somewhere. hundred percent. So I'm super fascinated by that sort of stuff because I think – what can you do that's interesting, going to be more meaningful? And then if the audience is there and you can you know, step it up a notch and go to another place. But I, I think for a lot of artists, you know, when they're starting out, I think living room shows and that sort of stuff I, I, are, are real. Uh, should you should People should at least just look into it. Mexican restaurants in Staten Island. Well, well look at that because – I said this was a landmark episode, episode 20. We've never had somebody give insight after the final question that was like, that they just kept going and dropping some more gems and ideas. Like, you you legitimately don't want to leave this conversation, John. <laughs> well, I just realized that I actually had something to say that I didn't say before. So I was like, well, I might as well say it now. And if you happen to record it, you can just do your magic, copy, edit. Maybe I won't. Do. This is natural. Maybe I won't. We'll see. We'll, All we'll, right, man. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. But anyway, we'll try it again. So John has run through the gauntlet. And then after he ran through the gauntlet, he went back <laughs> and grabbed some of his friends that he left behind to drag them over the finish line <laughs> to finish this marathon called the Survival of the Artist podcast. This was episode 20 with John Rubin, which again, always a pleasure speaking to. Makes fantastic music for 20 years. So go check it out. Check him out on Spotify. But maybe maybe you can go on Apple Music and actually iTunes doesn't exist anymore. So go someplace and buy a John Rubin album or stream it like a thousand times for one equivalent. There you go. There you go. Stream it for one a thousand times for one equivalent of a sold record. Very depressing. <laughs> um, but... Uh, Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. I don't know who will be on the next episode, but it's going to be hard to top um, John's insight. So <laughs> thank you, John. Have a good night. Thank you for having me, man. Yep. See you, man. Peace.